Drive by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Series 3, Episode 9, so the luminaries tell us, of Drive by Cinema. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. Hosted by my friend Paul. Hello there, everybody. And me. And my friend Richard. Thank you. Who needs no introduction. And really, you don't have to watch these movies just to just to uh, restate that tagline one more time. Although sometimes we'd like it if you did. Some of them are worth watching, are they not? And some of them are not. Some of them less so. Just two places in the grand sweep of history, Paul. Yes. This week, our brand new Prime Minister <laughs> used her formidable oratory skills and her winning charm Stop on local right radio. She did. Multiple different local radio stations to try and persuade people of the wisdom of her Chancellor's <laughs> new budget propositions. Have you just knocked over your new teapot, Paul? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, she did. She. Did. I really don't know what to think about all this. I, 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 it's it's gone beyond the farcical and the grotesque. It's become a crime of humanity, hasn't it, this new government? So I really don't know what to say about it. I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words, I have to say that. This moment in history is just, it's a blink of the eye, isn't it? It's a mere moat. We can convince ourselves that it will be passed over soon, but its effects, I think, will be will be long-ranging and long-standing, unfortunately. But people may wonder what happened to Liz Truss in this very short period of her tenure. <laughs> and they will have forgotten that she went on the radio, local radio, multiple times, said the same thing poorly, uh, and answered searching questions in a very uh, uninspiring way. Failing to convince anybody, really, that tax cuts for the wildly wealthy were the thing that we need when no one can afford to keep the lights on over winter. Well, if it has any good result, it's the fact that 65% of Conservative uh, Party members even think that what she's doing is immoral and objectionable. So there you go. Sorry, she's too conservative even for the Conservatives. Paul, you know what? I've been a bit busy, a bit distracted this week because I've been setting up... Because he's been busy. Do you know what he's been busy doing? Yeah, no, listen, I've been helping to set up uh, an activism and advocacy group to raise awareness for a particular cause. And, you know, it's been I taking a the joke is my... coming here. Energy. I don't know why. I don't know why, Paul, you always assume that when I'm, you know, doing something worthy, it's always a pretext for a joke. It's very Obviously not. No, why, why would that ever happen? And why, exactly? Your problem is you don't have any faith in me as a human being. I do have faith. I do have faith. So I've been setting up the NBA. No, obviously it's not a basketball thing. No. No. Can you imagine? (laughs) Well, you'd have some copyright and some some trademark issues there, beyond anything else. I mean, hopefully not, because there's nothing to do with basketball. Go on. What have you been up to? Well, it stands for... uh, I mean, I suppose this is a sort of... Let us tarry no longer, you know. Don't keep us in suspense, Richard. Yeah, no, I'm beginning to understand what advocacy and awareness groups are all about. Really, I should be putting gravy train enthusiastically, shouldn't I? I should be taking this opportunity to explain. It stands for the National Blanket Association (laughs) and Heated Jacket Association. I could definitely slide in there and collab with you if that was the case. Listen, Paul. Although I I appreciate the work that you're putting in on the Heated Jacket front. I'm you had the occasion to check out my my, my 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 web offering, didn't you? I did, and I was going to put it on the show notes. Maybe I'll put it this week to oh, see okay. if we can... Because it it's not been that cold until recently, has it? Yeah, I think I've come into the party a little bit too early. Sorry, Rich. Anyway, back to your very worthwhile... Uh, well, public, I was just going to say... Public works. When your heated jacket, when the battery goes out... Yeah. It's useless, isn't it? But a blanket yeah. doesn't need any battery. It's unless always it's a, it's an electric blanket. I'm not talking about it. the blanket. Paul was one of the first technological inventions of humankind. Oh, so using blanket in that kind of way that we use men, where it doesn't include things that it should include, you're excluding a subset, namely heated electric blankets, from the term blanket. Way back when, when early man was trying to figure out what to it's work just on, just completely. Go on, go on, go on. He, you know, he had three things up there. Probably he had a wheel, he had fire. <laughs> 
forgot about and that. They had the, the wheel is an incredible invention. It came it after took the a blanket. few thousand years of thought that I think that the wheel. It didn't just like come like Paul McCartney writes down lyrics when he wakes up in the middle. Exactly, of the and it came after the blanket. The blanket was needed. It was a necessary prerequisite from a lot of these technological inventions. When you say blanket, do you mean hide of killed animal? I think you do, don't you? That was that would be the early form of blanket. But you know, a basic weaved blanket was fairly achievable even for the earliest hominids. I'm sure it's a very versatile bit of kit. Is a blanket. Compared to a towel, say, the towel only really has one more function than a blanket. I don't don't think you can really dry a human off particularly well with a blanket. But in all other respects, a blanket is equal to the towel. It can keep you We're heading into Douglas Adams' territory here, aren't we? It can act as an impromptu garment, for instance. You can roll it up. Wait a minute, are you stealing, like, you know, Douglas Adams... The paragon virtue of towels and making it blankets... Not at all. Oh, Look, on, carry on. I'm not. I'm not hearing any objections I'll allow from it. you. I think I'm not, we're no, all on no, board. I love a blanket myself. A blanket. But think about this, Paul. Imagine you board. This is not entirely academic or hypothetical question. Imagine you board a long haul flight to go to the other side of the world. Say, I don't know, China or something. What do you get given to endure that long journey? You get a grotty blanket that's not. You get been a blanket for the last time it was used, and they put in a cellophane packet to make you think it's been washed. So oh, many other gosh. elements of travel and exploration have been what uh, sanitized, you know, to the yeah. point of it being routine every day. You can we just are not on at the point of still suit. No, we're not. We're not there. We we are not Caledons by nature. But still, even now, thousands upon thousands of years after the invention of the blanket, you still get given a blanket to travel to the other side of the we world. Are locked in Harkonnen vulgarity. Yes. If that doesn't explain how important blankets are, I don't know what will. Can I just say why? You know, look at our world today. You know, this wonderfully synchronized. Where would it be without blankets? But look I know at where you know, going with this. Yeah. this wonderful synchronized world. You know, where we can we can have any film or video at the touch of a button in our hand. You know, and, and all this wonderful informational technology that kind of renders the physical and mechanical world almost almost defunct in a certain sort of way. And yet, it took us three thousand years to invent the wheel. I, 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 these two versions of humanity just don't connect. Do they? I mean. Yes, it was a quantum leap, but, you know, fallen tree log. I mean, the form's already there, isn't it? You know, I mean, how long does it take to stick a smooth axle through that? I don't understand. Paul, I'm not a wheel advocacy group. I'm a a blanket-related group. Let's stick with the the programme here. Now, I know what you're thinking. I can read read your mind. You're thinking... Everybody likes blankets. Why do we need an advocacy group for blankets? <laughs> do you feel that they're falling out of favour? Now, let me explain. Well, obviously, I understand that from your business point of view, you're not a friend to the blanket. You would rather minute. see everyone. Because I think a blanket and... My business mission statement isn't about making money, Richard. It's about bringing warmth to the world. There you go. A blanket and a heated gilet can... Can but combine. I can't continue that, that that activity without financial success. I mean, can't Richard? That makes sense, doesn't it? Nobody's going to fund me as a charity. All I'm case. saying is, you have a vested interest to, to poo-poo the, the blanket concept. Well, okay, touche. I take that. I take that on the chin, completely. Which, which brings me to the main purpose of the NBA that I represent, yes. and that is this. <laughs> Go on. That is this. These days, especially with the lamestream media that we all have to endure, <laughs> whenever something remotely bad happens, and I, you know we could be talking a school shooting, yes. or a stabbing in London, or someone riding an electric scooter into a pedestrian, or one of those hoverboards <sighs> setting on fire, you know, anything like this. We need to helicopter in silver blankets for the skies. Paul, you should be part of my team because that's exactly the point. All of these disasters quite often are fixed with blankets. And yet, throughout the mainstream media, you'll hear, whenever something bad happens, you will hear (laughs) reactionary people, reactionary people, because of the joke, calling. Calling for a blanket ban. I knew. I knew. Wow. We only took four and a half minutes to get there, guys. And that's what Richard enjoys. He enjoys Rick Rolling us. Uh, you, may, you may wonder what, what, what has to do with it. I don't, I've never understood it, Paul. You have to explain it to me. <laughs> Richard, are you a fan of chocolate? I just want to say I'm representing the millions of responsible blanket users out there. 
For whom a blanket has never been an issue. Yeah, I am a fan of chocolate, sure. Yeah. yeah. Would you prefer M&M's or would you prefer minstrels? And minstrels are a form of galaxy chocolate, which I'm probably allergic to. If you prefer M&M's, you probably like this movie, but what we're going to talk about today. Because uh, one of the major reviews is that it's a time-bending roller coaster. Puts you on your edge so your palms are sweaty. That's, a, that's an M&M quote, by the way. <laughs> Palms are sweaty. Never mind. He got some music. Synchronic, Paul. Synchronic. I'll give you the name for free this time. Look, I knew the name. You, I mentioned the name before we started, okay, out in the green green room, okay, and you knew that. That's why you're not giving me the name. Synchronic 2019, Rotten Tomatoes 79%, IMDb 6.2, audience review on Google somewhat lower. Oh no, a bit higher than IBM DB, 3.4 out of 5, which works out to a 68% grade average. You're about to pull me up on the major error from last week, aren't you? Yeah. Which was that I said that this was a Netflix movie. Yeah, thank you for that. You cost me £1.99 on my YouTube credits. (laughs) It's on YouTube, guys, or Google TV, whichever you prefer. I did Google TV, and of course I was able to answer survey questions to get to get to earn enough money to watch this film. When you buy them on Google TV and then you open them on YouTube and you go back to Google TV, they disappear and you have to go to YouTube, uh, YouTube to find them again. Which isn't great because they're never on your oh. dashboard. This stars Anthony Mackie, who we've seen before oh, in no, Drive by Cinema. Right? Yeah, we have. You don't yeah. remember you don't remember what, what he was in? No, because I don't do my homework like you, Richard. Go on, tell we, us about it. No, I mean, you may know him from uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe where he plays Falcon. Does he? He's a big star he these does. days, is he? He is. But we saw him in Drive-By Cinema in season one in Destination Io, where he was one of like two people left on the planet. Whoa. And he convinced that woman to go with him to go to Io, where her boyfriend oh, was. He was a swan, so to speak, in the Greek myth. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I suppose, if Alistair is to be believed. Thank you, Alistair, for the episode where he educated us on classical... Thank you, Alistair. ...Greek myths. Yeah, yeah, wow, okay. So, yeah, wow, gosh, so he's a big star. I didn't realise that. And the other guy, Jamie Dornan, yeah. you know him? You know what he's in, of course, of course no. you do. He played Christian Grey in the Fifty Stri- Shades of Grey... I've not seen that. ...movie adaptation. I've not seen that. You're aware of it, though. Yeah. It's a big phenomenon, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Controversial because of its, I think, poor depiction of uh, consent play in BDSM kind of terms. You know where it came from, right? It was a fan fiction originally. Yeah, it was like one of those uh, Twilight that people publish on fiction. Amazon. Yeah. Print, you know, print on Kindle kind of thing. This film starts, actually, not with our two heroes. starts with this couple who are having a party night in a hotel room. I thought, was it a hotel room? It seemed like Vegas. It was a hotel Vegas. room. It was it. No, they're in New Orleans. This whole movie yeah, set in New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. And they both we'll have... get local flavour later, by the way. They both have a pill. And they both take this pill with an S on it. She's watching a hippie, trippy video. And he goes out in the lift. I don't know why. Yeah, she's watching like Magic Eye, isn't she? Like fractal stuff or whatever. stuff like Some that. kind of Buddha thing with yeah. lights around it. Yeah. Oh, he's going to get ice from... You know, in American hotels, they have an ice machine in the hotel corridors. Yeah. And the hotel room has an ice bucket. And you go out with your ice bucket, you get some ice from the hotel. Ice Just a quick aside, if you want to save money this winter, although you should have done it in summer because freezer bills are high there, fill your freezer with uh, bags of water. Right. It cuts down on uh, how much work it has to do to keep to keep it cold. Yeah, but... You won't be able to fit any food in. Well, I would suggest, you know, how le- how much food you have in normally, take that out, yep. and then fill right. to the requisite and eat it with... all before it... No! Before... Fill it with <laughs> bags of water. Right. Uh, and then put your food back on top so it's brimmed to the full. <laughs> right, okay. Wouldn't it be better just to put it, put food in it? Yeah, buy more food, but some of us don't have the money to do that at the moment, whereas we can probably still turn on the tap water. So Get your Tesco hard. bags, tie them up, stick the water in, it will freeze in about three or four hours. And you'll seriously reduce the amount of air that can circulate in and out of the freezer every time you open it. 
Okay, good advice. But then, if it all freezes solid, you won't be able to. It'll be like this three D jigsaw, and you won't be able to get anything out, will you? True. Uh, I'm more puzzled by the stuff in the like, Daily Star that say, "Well, to save money, you should buy yourself a George Foreman grill." I mean, it's, it's almost a false economy, isn't it? Because I mean, they're at least seventy nine ninety nine, aren't they? And also, isn't that a bit like nineteen nineties? It is. I mean, can you can you still get a George Foreman grill? <laughs> is he still making them? Plus, it is true, your oven is three kilowatt rated, but it's not, it doesn't power itself, you know, constantly in the two hours you've got it on. It just sort of clicks on and off every, you know, for two minutes every ten minutes, doesn't it? So in actual fact, it's not going to cost you a pound fifty to do the Sunday roast. So they start tripping, this couple start tripping, she's on the bed, tripping and he's in the tits lift. tits out, yeah. They have crazy hallucinations. He starts seeing sort of the lift walls dissolve away and he's in the desert I think. Yeah, she comes up a bit earlier a cherry blossom grows or something or some such grows out of the wall It's not a euphemism. Literally, a tree grows. And then the walls dissolve away and she finds herself somewhere with a Being stared at by a very poor man who can't seemingly afford proper PVC dom suits. Like he's all dressed up in leather and shit. But... He's a primitive human. Oh, he's a primitive human I, I thought we were role playing. Sorry. He's not a poor man. And a snake Jumped up on the bed after her. So presumably she's time-travelled to the Garden of Eden. Is that the implication? That's a big leap, Paul. I don't think we can assume that. But she certainly time-travels oh. to somewhere where there's a snake, let's just say. We don't know that she time-travels. And meanwhile, the man is imagining himself falling into the face-first into the dunes. Yeah. And then we cut to our heroes, who are paramedics. And they're being delivered by ambulance to the next job. Room 1107, or House 1107, which I thought was this hotel room, but it's not. It's a different place they're heading towards. This is uh, Steve and Dennis. Steve played by Anthony Mackie and Dennis played by Jamie Dornan. So uh, Dennis is the... Is it Dennis, or the the character? Dennis is the heavily bearded one. And Steve... Dennis is Jamie Dornan, yeah. And, and Steve is uh, Anthony, and he is the lightly trimmed moustache and beard one. They have been called to an overdose, and there's a couple there, a different couple with another woman there. And it's foggy, and New Orleans outside. Anthony Mackie, Steve, that is, he revives the woman. So the assumption is they're drug overdose, and I guess they have, in some sort of way. Well, he says the woman was on a heroin overdose, because that's what that Nandrolone stuff does, right? It instantly kind of... Do you know about this? There's like this drug that like instantly neutralizes heroin. Yeah, because he got a needle stick, which is terms for, you know, he got the user's needle in his arm. Okay, so he had to administer it to himself, first of all. Is that right or something? No, he was just worried about catching something, wasn't it? I said Nandrola. I've got it wrong, haven't I? But there is a particular drug that they use and that they carry for heroin overdoses. Ah. Tell me that you've heard of this. I have, yeah, but I'm, I, I thought it was some sort of adrenal-based thing. Maybe, maybe it is, yeah, I don't know. But wh- whatever it is, it kind of instantly brings you around, which is what is depicted here. Interested, the police arrive on the scene and nearly shoot the black guy, uh, Anthony. Well, that's because he'd, he'd been forced to take his jacket off <laughs> to show off the fact that he's wearing the shirt of one of his conquests, because he's a bit of a player, isn't he, Steve? He's not settled down. No, he's, he's forced he's dating- something... A string of girls, still, you know. Uh, and his partner, Dennis, who they, they've obviously known each other for a long time, they're good friends, is ribbing him about stuff like this, isn't he? Because he's got a wife and he's got two daughters. He's got an 18-year-old called Brittany. Is it Brittany? Brianna. It Brianna. 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 And he's just had another daughter as well, uh, sort of brand new. 18 years apart, wow. So the junkie girl wakes up, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a sudden in a sudden revived motion. Uh, and then eyes turn to her boyfriend, presumably, who's, like, got a huge wound. And they figure out that he's been stabbed by a long blade, which the police yeah. says it's a sword. And eventually, I think... After, As they're leaving, yeah, yeah. They see a sword sort of stabbed into the wall, and it's a really strange... lodged in the yeah. closet wall, yeah. So we're supposed to connect these two events, obviously. Uh, you know, the first one, which it, well, didn't so much look like, you know, taking drugs. Did we see them take the drugs in the first scene? I can't remember. We did, yeah. They we both did. had a okay. pill. Yeah, uh, But instead it comes out looking like some dystopian Timothy advert. Okay. Uh, so then we move <laughs> on to scene three, which is... They're outside well, playing say, golf, aren't in, they? 
in the kitchen, there's uh, graffiti. Time is a lie. It's scrawled on the wall. And the policeman also finds a packet for this drug. Oh, you thought the first time I see the packets? I see. They don't make a big deal of it yet. Only think in the next scene. The packet says synchronic, and it looks like a Jurex packet. It does look like a Jurex packet, but it's not. It's a drug. It's it's it's, it's a, a smart designer drug. designer yeah. drug designer packet. smart, smart drug, drug packet. Yeah. What are designer smart drugs, Paul? Well, I think we all know that, don't they? They touch on this in the movie. It's that you know, chemically, they are. Can we say in the same family? We probably can't say that as illegal drugs. However, there are small changes to the chemical structure that mean actually, you know, in terms of chemical formula. Uh, they're different. However, they have very similar levels of efficacy and effect. This is where spice came from, isn't it? It's it is. Supposed to it's be destroyed s- communities across the UK. Yeah, yeah. Supposed to be synthetic cannabis. Yeah, I think, isn't. But it clearly has wildly different effects to cannabis. Yeah. yeah. So the chemists who are making these designer drugs are, as you say, they're making. Let's not forget cake. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ravaging. Yes. It, it, it acts on your Shatner's bassoon. Yes. <laughs> sorry to rhyme that joke from 30 years ago. Wow, 30 years ago. Anyway, sorry, continue. Better times, better times. So th- these chemists are making these drugs that are yeah. similar in structure to illegal drugs. The idea being that because they're not the same substance, they can get away with selling them legally. But the, I think the government has they changed it to the a generic, Yeah, to generic similarities. Yeah, generically similar drugs will all be covered on the illegality of the defined illegal drug, you see. I mean, obviously, very clever chemistry goes in to designing these drugs that can be made in this way and that have these similar effects. But obviously, at the same time, it's impossible to know what tiny changes will have on the action of the drug. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is potentially very dangerous. But it, it, there's something very clever about it. And the way... It's sort of chemical hacking, isn't it? I listened to an interview with some guy who I think is, works in uh, the Netherlands or something. But he's one of these drug designers. The latest thing is designing binary substances. So they're two uh, sort of precursor reagents that themselves are not psychoactive. Wow. But you buy them separately and you mix Ingest them together. Them. I see. Well, you mix them together somehow and it forms the drug in a reaction and then you take that. You know, that you set drug. up any customs, you set up any border and people are going to get around it somehow, aren't they? Yeah, so... so uh... Related to that, I heard another interesting story on Radiolab, which is a great podcast, uh, NPR kind of podcast, recently. And that was the story about these guys who were using AI computer systems that simulate oh. chemistry and stuff. And doing the chemistry faster than the chemists. Yeah, I've heard about this. What they were doing is they were looking for brand new drugs, right? Word. They would like feed in the kind of parameters that they wanted. Because apparently it, it, just, it is the case that drugs that we use happen to be of a certain molecular size and weight, roughly yeah. speaking. I suppose it makes sense if you think about it. So they were putting these parameters into their AI system, and it was spitting out lists and lists of different substances that possibly had never been synthesized, but all of which, you know, were candidates for different kinds of drugs. Wow. And then they work out, you know, whether they can synthesize them and they can go and test them. Were they looking at making street drugs or or medical drugs? No, medical drugs. They're a pharmaceutical company. On a thought experiment, I think someone had raised a question. And what they did was they uh, adjusted the filters and the parameters and flipped a you know a switch yeah. to try they'd been previously avoiding anything that might have you know serious uh poisonous toxic effects and they'd been contacted by some kind of uh research group into possible risk you know new tech risk kind of things they flipped the switch and they left it running overnight and it went away and generated this enormous list of hitherto unknown, but, uh, you know, possible, I suppose, uh, like neurotoxins, many of which were like, you know, thousands of times more toxic than uh, Whoa. stuff that they killed Skripals with, you know, the... Um, no way. 
you know, they wound up having to speak to the government and stuff about all of this, and they've got this list kind of encrypted on somebody's laptop and locked away. And you either think this is incredibly scary or dangerous. I think a lot of analysts are a bit more uh, sceptical about it because just having a... Even if you have a compound, it doesn't mean you can synthesise it. And so it doesn't mean you can synthesise it safely and in appropriate quantities and with the appropriate purity. You know, so it might, you know, it might still take years and years and years of research anyway to get anything out of this list. But certainly, you know, it's pause for thought. And but it's all part of the same kind of theoretical, practical computer-based chemistry type stuff, isn't it? It's interesting. Welcome to the singularity. It's going to happen. Okay, so uh, next scene. Uh, thank you for that, Richard. It was very informative <laughs> and interesting. Incidentally, uh, Holland or the Dutch, sorry, the Dutch, uh, the, the mayor of Amsterdam is just, she's debating whether to ban the coffee shops or ban tourists rather from the coffee shops. Why? Uh, because, uh, well, because of the loophole, you know, it can be sold. Uh, and, uh, you know, locals can freely use it. The, uh, they're not particularly keen after lockdown to see tourists return particularly from Italy and England, uh, you know, to behave like stoners on the streets and use it in an uncivilised way. But uh, although it is legal to sell it to a certain... There's a, there's a limit how much they can stock and sell per week in each cafe. Uh, its actual supply or its grow, growing is still legal. So uh, just generally the the, the, uh, the criminal culture that it, that it supports, really, is what you're concerned about. <laughs> Killjoy. Anyway, Steve and Dennis get called to an abandoned amusement arcade. Um, no, not Camelot. Somewhere in New Orleans, presumably. Wait, 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 wait. Don't they have a don't they have a barbecue or some or a tailgate party without any cars to begin with? Where we meet, where we meet that daughter, whatever her name is, Brianna. Yeah, well, they Brianna. probably do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, she's complicated and self involved to ex- self involved to exactly the same degree, which is great. <laughs> they find uh, they find it. A dead body in an amusement arcade. Don't know why they're there because it's dead and they're paramedics. It's been burnt, hasn't it? Oh yes, you're right. Yes, 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 yes. Cop finds another pack of Synchronic. Did you ever read the Unexplained as a magazine as a kid? Probably. Yeah, I why? collected you... it for a long time. And of course, all they used to put on the front was Unexplained, spontaneous human combustion in an armchair. You know, so I was fascinated by this as a child, particularly the descriptions, the lurid descriptions. You know, the wet, kind of smelly, soggy, kind of remnants of the body well, oh, this is quite dry this is like a, this is like this is like a jacket potato you throw in a bonfire wasn't it this one they do ascribe it to spontaneous human combustion the pictures that you're talking about i was always struck by how close the body always was to an to like a, to a, actually a two-bar electric fire <laughs> yeah what could possibly have caused it <laughs> now there's a synchronic card here isn't there a, a synchronic rapper. Yeah. A synchronic rapper. And, of course, there's a smoking... Or the remnants of a smoking dagger. Is it a dagger? I think it was a doorknob. Oh. It was a doorknob. Anyway. Because I was going to say, it's usually a smoking gun, but it was a smoking something. I'm not quite sure what it was. Piece of metal. Trope alert, because now... The cutscene now is Steve is being head-scanned in an MRI scanner, and obviously he's going to have a brain tumour. We're going to discover... A brain tumor, yeah. His doctor's going to tell him later that it's on his pineal gland. Yeah, on his and pineal gland, yeah. And he's, he, he says it, it's a very strange tumour. It's probably been there for years. Your pineal gland is like that of a, of a child. Yeah, weird you know. thing, yeah, like teenagers. It's like a teenager's pineal gland. They do say that teenagers can travel in time because of this. That's Spotlighting that, that why the, we don't quite know. The but doctor obviously. doesn't say that, Paul. He the does. Doctor, he does not. <laughs> he does. No, that's the chemist. Oh, that's the chemist. That. He, he's also a doctor, but not his MD. Not his, oh. or, uh, what's the word? You, you, cancer doctor, doesn't say. You've got six weeks or 60 years to live. I suggest the former, unless you start your radiotherapy, your, your radiology, whatever it's called, your radioactive treatment tomorrow. And he takes it quite well, Steve, but gets drunk in a bar afterwards or something like that. So, yeah, he's obviously, he's going to die, isn't he, of this cancer. Next call... Steve and Dennis go to. There's a woman bitten by a snake. Yeah. And she's got a swollen thigh. But and not the there. snake what bit or might have bit the girl. No, it is that girl, scene. Paul. Yes, oh, is it is that girl. Yeah. Oh. Trying to keep up, Paul. No wonder this film made no sense to you. Same girl. Same girl. Uh, and the cop seems to be... Oh, I've just read it. En route to the hotel room from the first scene. Okay, sorry, go on. 
<laughs> the, the cop seems to be a, I think you call them herpetologists. Herpetologists. Someone who's an, an expert in snakes or reptiles or something. Yeah, anyway. he, says, he says it's venom, not poison. That's a joke. Yeah, but he also identifies what kind of snake it is from the, yeah. from the bite marks. Eastern diamondback rattler. And he says, you know, you don't get any of those around here anymore. You haven't, haven't seen one and of those. Says, and then he says to the victims, are you Pentecostal by any chance? Yeah, because there's those snake charmy churches, aren't there? Then we find a synchronic calling card of some sort. And the boyfriend, meanwhile, is at the bottom of a lift shaft. He's obviously fallen down there and his limbs are all snapped off. And stuff. Yeah, he's dismembered in a really interesting way. Two floors. I don't know how you cut yourself up like that, falling down two floors, but there you go. Oh, well, you, you, your limbs do come off if you fall a long way, Paul. I mean, not in flight, but when you hit. When you hit the <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, like some sort of salamander or chameleon form of self-defense, jettisoning limbs. Meanwhile, Dennis is trying to figure out what's up with his complicated teenage daughter. It's another trope, really, isn't it? What we're yeah. Experiencing here, and we see Steve and Dennis then meeting at a strip club. I think it's Steve's birthday. Dennis has bought a stack of one-dollar bills. Have you ever been to a strip club? Uh... Did, oh, I think you used to say you ran one, didn't you? No, I never said that, Richard. Oh, okay. You were at a nightclub that had strippers in it. Dancers. No. Exotic, erotic dance. No. Podium we had, dancers. We had a nightclub where there were people dancing in a cage. Cage dancers. So they were wearing hot pants. They weren't strippers. They, they weren't strippers. No, it was a very classy establishment. <laughs> yeah. The guy who designed it was really proud of it, you know. He was like, God, that's so classy, isn't it? What, the cage? Well, just the whole the whole experience of watching people in a cage dance. He was he was convinced of his own genius. He designed cages for criminal masterminds all over the world, presumably. Well, you get it there, yeah, yeah. Would it be the kind of person you want to cross on a dark and stormy night, kind of thing. But I was thinking, you know, strip strip joints do kind of rely on these low denomination notes, don't they, for giving to strippers, putting into their g strings and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, we're all sort of cashless now since COVID, aren't we? I mean, how does that how's that going to work these days? I don't know. Like when guys ask me for when they, when pe- when people are begging for change, it's like, well, I literally don't have any change to give you. Can no, I, I don't carry cash. That's right. In some places, I'd probably be arrested as a vagrant because <laughs> there are laws, aren't there? You have to have a certain amount of money, or they class you as a, a vagrant. So, sorry, they're in the strip club. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of dialogue here that was a bit inconsequential and, and touchy-feely-wheely, huggy-wuggy. And they get called out to room or house 107 because there's a cocoa D potentially. And when they arrive... Hang on. There's a very important piece of dialogue that you're supposed to understand. Oh. Yeah, you obviously didn't. Because Dennis gives Steve for his birthday a lamp that's kind of science in style. Yeah. It's got like a light bulb with like... Electrons spinning around it or something. Yeah. Like well, you're supposed to take from that that Steve is some kind of scientist or frustrated scientist, aren't you? Yeah. Well, we we, we get told that we're both going to become doctors later. later yeah. On. It's just to underscore the point. This is just it you does know, underscore the point. It's really a thing, isn't it? It's a science style with no substance kind of idea. Later on, says, you know, we're going and and we, you know, we need to take these all these pre-science courses to get on the med course, and as a result of that. I became an armchair physicist, which we know yeah. is going to be relevant somehow later on in the uh, in the movie, where he does make very good use of explanatory uh, and response variables uh, in the empirical <laughs> method. Okay, so the next call on the paramedics list of duties that we see one or seven, yeah, a couple on a balcony. Yeah, one guy is unconscious. One sort of stoner girl is there, but she says that a girl that was with her called Brianna. They also oh, no. need help. And Dennis obviously feels the worst, and he calls his wife, and they try and figure out where Brianna is, but she's disappeared. She's disappeared into the, the middle of The chair she was in, she's gone. And they mention at this point that synchronic is supposed to be fake ayahuasca. What do you know about ayahuasca, Paul? I was going to look this well, up. It's like DM. It's like DMT, DMT, but trippier, isn't it? But what is DMT? It's, you know, the... South American drug where you trip out and see the gnomes. The gnomes. So this is the idea that when you take this drug, lots of different people report the same 
hallucinatory experience. Essentially being John Malkovich, that movie. And you see gnomes. When you say gnomes, what do you... What are they People who live on the seventh and a half floor between between our lives kind of thing. You know, oh, being John Malkovich. Have you, have you watched that movie? No. Do we have to put that on the list? Oh, God, no. I wouldn't sit through that again. It's torture. <laughs> Just, you know, a trippy of the world. People see a trippy of the world with full of gnomes and dwarves and stuff like that. Typically. People have a rough time on it, though. People make a big deal of the fact that if different people see the same thing, they claim, you know, is, does that not mean that they're seeing another reality? It's like another dimension. It's a way of viewing another dimension. Yep. Yeah, I suppose it is. So do you think that's true? Uh, no. <laughs> you, you've had enough of Sorry, my did ship, you want, have you? <laughs> did you want me to be enthusiastic about that idea? Or no, well, just... I, I, I assume you want to be enthusiastic so you can counter it. No, I'm fascinated by the idea, but, you know, I obviously think it's bullshit. But well, so I was young, it... you know, and we've got, we got the terms yes. for this collective unconscious, you know, gene yeah. memory and that kind of thing. Do you think young did ayahuasca? He was big into his mandalas, wasn't he? And they tend to appear in um, sort of ayahuasca trips and that kind of thing. So probably, yeah. yeah. Would figure. Steve decides to do the responsible thing and he goes to the local head shop where they sell kind of uh, synthetic drugs, designer drugs. And he buys all of the synchronic they have on the shelves. And the girl says that actually they're not expecting any more in. And a guy immediately behind him in the shop uh, as soon as he gets out, he tries to pay him even more for something chronic. Yeah. $105 he pays for the remaining synchronics. There's only a handful, aren't there? Only sort yeah. of six. There's some comic moments in the shop. Yeah, because of the mostly because of the girl. Yeah, there's some moments of comic levity in this movie. Okay. And as uh, as Stephen's heading to his Jeep, uh, his open window Jeep, the guy says, I'm Dr. Kakakavani or something like that. I'm... Does he say I'm the inventor of the drug? No, he doesn't. He said, I'll no, give you $2,000 for that. This is Kermani. He's the chemist who created Synchronic. And he's, Steve finds him in his house, hiding in a closet. I just yeah. wanted to say something about this, Paul. Go on. I wanted to talk about closets. Right. Yeah. Because I think, I think it is the case, though please correct me if I'm wrong, that in the US... Houses are built with closets. Walking closets, yeah. It's a room. It's a room. Not Not just that. Not just that. But there are also like cupboards built into American houses quite often. And closet space, I think, is a big deal like for realtors showing people around. Yeah. You you know, about the size of a small British bedroom. (laughs) Okay. Generally. We don't forget McMansions happened all the way up to 2008, didn't they? Until you know the, the realtor crash, uh, McFanny and McFay, whatever it's called, that giant crash. You know, and houses were generally growing to be about four hundred square meters, or you know, four hundred forty yards square. I'm not Which, just talking about six walking. times bigger than the average British house. You know, I'm not just talking about walking closets though. I'm also talking about like cupboards, like oh yeah, built-in cupboard space, definitely. Whereas I think in this country it is generally the case, and maybe all of Europe, I don't know. That a house is built pretty much as sort of blank space, you know, walls, windows, door, and closets are furniture, like cupboards. You would buy them from Ikea or whatever. Depends on the era. Like, I I think the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was a big movement towards fitted fitted wardrobes. Fitted wardrobes are different. I mean, you can get a wardrobe professionally fitted into a house or a room. Sure. But it's not a closet. It's not a closet, and it's not part of the fabric of the house. True. And although, yes, sure, you would leave it there if you were moving out, probably what would happen is someone would rip it out yeah. and put their own in. Closets as part of the fabric of the house, not a thing in this country in the same well, way, I don't think. Tell, no, you, tell you, me you, if you, I'm you, wrong. No, you're definitely right, yeah. And what do you think about that? Because also open hallways and staircases, you know, not a thing. Oh, you know, our hallways are very rarely wider than four feet, five feet wide, aren't they? Sure. American yeah, hallway's yeah, going to yeah. be 20 foot wide. Yeah, yeah. You certainly can't pass someone on the stairs in a normal British house. Can't do the Dynasty Sweep, no. No, you can't. can't. do your John Collins. But would you want more closets built into a house? Because surely it's just, isn't it just parasitic on the space you could have used? If your dream is to live like a minimalist life, you know, like with raked sand and like boulders and stuff uh, and no bric-a-brac and clutter 
Hmm. Is lack of closet space a boon or a, a nightmare for you? Well, first of all, let me just secure into the idea that occupiers of mansions probably aren't typically typically going to be pursuing uh, a Zen ideal. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, and it, moving from Zen back to just quoted in everyday Marie Kondo, yeah, I, I think, you know, her prescription is for efficient, sufficient storage space. So in that sense, a closet would never be too much. The things you would put in it would be too much. Right. If you've Marie Kondoed your life and you got rid of clutter and your closet space isn't filled up, it's a waste of space. That it is. You've it is, bought yeah. space that Rialta sold you and you don't need it. Wow, well, I think you've made a very deep point there. And on the other hand, if you've got more stuff than fits in your closets, you're going to have to go out and buy a piece of furniture to put stuff in anyway. You might as well have just done that in the first place. True. Okay, Rich, so we have di- diverged and digressed horribly, but where are we? The chemist in the closet. Yeah, and then he explains, doesn't he? He says, I'm the inventor of this drug. Yeah, it's like ayahuasca, but not ayahuasca. He said it was synthesised from a rare red flower. Yeah, and because teenagers have really, really freaky sort of uh, uncalcified pineal glands, when they take it, they disappear and never come back. We're trying to work out what's wrong with it. That's why I'm trying to bite up across across the neighbourhood. He says it makes you experience time as it normally is. Then he gives us a wonderful analogy that's not so wonderful, which is the needle on the record. Yeah, he says each... Groove on the record is like different time period, and the stylus is his drug. So it lets you go down at any point on the record. Hmm. It's the idea, I suppose, that you know time is four dimensional. That it's a very post-Einsteinian idea, isn't it? That time, everything's played out, right? And we're just moving through a four-dimensional space. And so, if you could move through that fourth dimension, in other words, you could move the stylus across the record, you could find yourself in a different time. I think it's, this, it's obvious at this point. Having mentioned pineal glands, and uh, Steve, our hero, knowing that he's got a freaky pineal gland, it's pretty obvious that Steve is going to take the synchronic that he's lying about having thrown away to the chemist, isn't it? It's quite a coincidence, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, there's a really con- convenient coincidence <laughs> happening in this film. The doc says, though, he's been buying out all the synchronic because when kids with their non-calcified pineal glands take it, they can just disappear and never physically into that other timeline and never come back. So he's trying to get rid of it all by buying it all out like a responsible designer drug dealer would do. <laughs> Guess what? I, I, we, I, we head off in the ambulance again. I'm not quite sure where or why who's in the back of the van this time. But at some point, well, Steve decides tell to you. down... Oh. I'll tell you who's in the back of the van this time. It's basically Baron Samedi from Live and Let Die, isn't it? It's a Is guy it? in a sort of full voodoo skull type thing. Well, in the yeah. Top he's what broken is going on here? Well, it's New Orleans, you know. Um, I, I think yeah. he's just broken his leg, yeah. Paramedics are attending. It's at this point, though, that Dennis accused Steve of taking drugs. Yeah, he says, this guy's in pain. Come get some morphine. And Dennis says, do we have any morphine, Steve? With accusatory glances. He's seen Steve taking painkillers, which he takes because he's got a brain tumour, let's face it. Yeah. So uh, he's put two and two together and made five, as it were. So, right, so that was actually in the real world, because I get confused, because Steve meets some other chanting people in New Orleans later on in the movie that's not in this time zone kind of thing. Then Steve, he drops his first tab of Synchronic, doesn't he? And he goes into While the, drinking the whiskey. Melt. Never mix yeah. your time-melting drugs with... Whiskey, I would suggest. He goes into the time melt, and he obviously he stays pretty much where he is, I think. He doesn't really move location, but he does move time, yeah. And so it's back before New Orleans was TV goes funny. There's a bright light. The room around him dissolves. Yes, and he ends up in, obviously, in a swamp. Was a swamp, yeah. New orleans swamp. There's a crocodile and a soldier come at him, which is quite what to make. Whenever they land in these sort of unpopulated places in the past, they always land in the thick of the action somehow. I think it's not a crocodile, isn't it? An alligator. Oh, it's an alligator. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And a Spanish conquistador. Who just happens to be where he is in the the empty, empty swampland. He runs towards him and swings a sword. And Steve wakes up back home in the nick of time. But when he looks down... The effects of the drug have just worn off in time. When he looks down, there's a sword mark on the floor in front of the sofa. 
It's like the two times have somehow coalesced and interacted for a very blink of a time travel second. Also, the crocodile is actually a stuffed crocodile behind. It's an alligator, Paul. It's an alligator, sorry. It's like a crocodile. Okay. Uh, Okay, blanket, electric blanket. We're almost there. Uh, What time is it? Uh, It's uh, it's actually got a stuffed alligator behind him. So was it all an Alice-like dream? We will never know. But actually, no. It turns out to be all real, this time travel stuff. So there we go. I didn't even know that. Notice the stuffed uh, alligator behind him. That's very observant of you. Well done. Yeah, but I mean, the, the the cut mark on the carpet wasn't there before. So, so yeah. So I think we have to assume deducting possibilities that wow, time travel has occurred. So then so we, we kind of get sorry. Then we kind of get Steve jumping into putting his physicist hat on, and you know, trying to control the. He starts documenting, and he do- he documents his experiments on a video camcorder. So that, you know, his friends, if he something happens to him, his friends will be able to review it and see what's going on. And he actually takes the drug again, dematerializes on camera, doesn't he? Wow. And he wakes up in a blizzard. Amazing. He wakes up in a blizzard and he sees a, a figure off in the distance through the blizzard. And when he arrives back, wow, he's got hypothermia. Now he says, I must be going to the same place, but different times, because it's the same place, but it's the Ice Age. Did the Ice Age glaciate all the way down to New Orleans? Is that what you're looking up on your phone, Paul? It must have done, because later he hypothesises correctly. He says, look, I'm going back to the same spot, the same geographical spot I'm standing in now, whatever that means. And he says, but the time I go to is different, and he hypothesizes correctly that it's due to where he's standing in the room. This is like the stylus on the record, you see. Now, I had a problem with this. Yes. I thought, you know, in terms of explanatory response variables, he hasn't isolated something, which is, you know, it might be the fact that he did one on Monday night, one on Tuesday night. It might be the progression of time itself that's changing the time going back. So, uh, you know, he, he makes that conclusion before he's isolated that it is the place and not the time. So then later on, he does actually repeat it from, he marks X, marks the spot. And then at a later date, he repeats it and goes back to the same place that he went to before. So we know it's exactly your time travel. is dialed in by where you're standing on Earth at this present time. Fascinating and amazing and somewhat hard to believe. You think that he would quickly conclude that, that you have to have a great deal of precision in the location. Yeah. Because he moves. What if you've not... got one arm stuck out? What if you've got what if you've got one foot? What if you're one legged? Does that affect it? If you've still in two different parts. Wow, just all kinds of things to think about here, yeah. Is it your centre of mass? What's going on, Richard? Can you tell me? Because he's not standing more than ten feet away from the sofa. And in one he winds up in the swamps of New Orleans with yeah. a conquistador, which let's face it is in like five hundred years, years ago, yeah. And in the other location, not ten feet away. He winds up in the Ice Age, which is, what, 40,000 years ago or something? And he never really tries to plot a straight line and draw, you know, like this is 500 <laughs> years, log scale or exponential scale or anything like that. He never tries to put numbers on that, does he? Which and the next really, time he really goes back, he takes his dog. And I would say sits, shoddy science is going on there, to be honest. He sits on the sofa next to his other location and he leans over to grab the dog. I mean, that could have moved him, you know, a thousand years in and of itself. We, we, get, we get all kinds of stuff that I've got problems with here happening. Okay. So he goes back a few but look, times. No, yeah. Hold on, though. On. Here's a big problem with... We must have talked about this. Big problem with time travel is, if you were to time, travel in time, like 20 years ago, Paul, say, even yeah. just 20 years, the Earth is moving through space. It's orbiting the sun. Sure, it's not in the same place. It's not in the same place. And the sun is moving in a galaxy. So we would be millions of millions of... You'd end up in an asteroid belt or something, you know. Or landing on Elon Musk's latest launch or whatever. (laughs) Or just possibly exploding in vacuum space, you know. Yeah, if you're really lucky, you would land up in Elon Musk's Tesla. Blood bursting out of your nostrils. Yeah. Yeah, it, It doesn't really hold... Hold up to scrutiny, does it? That's I never thought about that, but that's the best point. I was saying this location is a bit dodgy. And why would why would location in limited, a limited, very localized location translate to the whole of translation through time? It's just <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But so we start going back in time. So I'm not sure which one he goes back first to, but he goes back to a racist land of the early 19, late 19, 1800s, early 1900s, back to KKK land. 
in New Orleans. Yeah, this is when he takes his dog, his dog called Hawking, which, by the way, is the same kind of dog that they have in Back to the Future, except that one is called Einstein, of course. <laughs> so he takes his dog with him because he wants to know if he goes looking for Brianna, which is what he wants to do, he wants to know that he can bring Brianna back with him. So he grabs onto Hawking. He takes a drug. Not quite sure how that works. I mean, he took the drug, not the dog, right? We get a discussion of this afterwards once he's come back. He takes the dog with him. He finds that he's in a house. Actually, presumably still his house. His house, he's still yeah. There. Maybe explains why it has a lot of closets, doesn't it? Anyway, a guy who owns the house comes out. Ain't happy to see him. And so he flees. He goes out of the house. And he realises, I think, whilst he's outside... It's a KKK meeting. He, that happens in a moment. He oh. realises, after a few minutes, he's got a very beat-up digital watch he keeps looking at, doesn't he? But I think he realises that in order to get back, he has to be in the same place, sitting on the couch. back to the same spot. It's, it's like Back to the Future, man. So he times how long it takes him to sort of hang around. And then he runs back into the house... And just as he's sitting there, the man, the owner, comes back in, tries to fight him, but he's incorporeal at that point. So he just, like, falls right through him. And then the guy fires off the gun and snaps the leash for his dog. No, 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 no. The dog was standing at the doorway, and he tries pulling the leash. He reaches over the back of the couch, tries pulling the leash to get the dog back just before, you know, everything happens. The KKK burst in through the door... And unfortunately, he snaps back into normal time and his dog's leash is sort of severed. And the he says, it's chaotic, out. this. You know, it's not chaotic. It's really badly thought out. So, yeah, so the weird he, thing is... No, but he, he hears he his concludes. dog whimpering. He hears he his does. dog whimpering. And he looks around and he sees out of the window <laughs> yeah. the, the ghost dog is there. Kind of travelling between, yeah. <laughs> Between time zones, so to speak. Okay, so no, dogs on a layover in Dubai. Look, I, I feel like that on a layover in Dubai. Kind of half there, half not there. So then he says, yeah, I've just realised what happens. You have to be touching what you bring back. Because he's brought back this weird medieval coin several times, yeah. He's always had it in his hand. Now, this is a weird thing is, I mean, he kind of was touching some part of the lead, but why did all the lead come back with him? And why did only half the lead come back with him? So I, I'm just troubled by this, this principle that you have to be touching what you bring back. It, Paul, it's chaotic. Camera. He says clearly it's chaotic. No, it's it's a badly thought out mess. <laughs> it's, it's, it's narrative. It's poor narrative. Then we get Steve's real backstory from his uh, from his mate who's missing his daughter and obviously he's reflecting on how great Steve is. Uh, Steve had a Katrina moment where all his family died in the Katrina floods. Uh, and then he saw grave robbers, you know, kind of emptying out their floating graves after the flood subsided. I didn't I didn't conclude that his family died from Katrina, but oh. the coffins floated up. I see. Katrina. Thank you. So Dennis is like, wow, Steve's just a great guy. <laughs> so I don't know how relevant that was. He's only got three synchronic pills left. The only three synchronic pills left in the world now. He goes back again. I think it's to find his dog, is it? Or to find no, Dennis's daughter. He can't do that because he's only got three pills left. So he's got to go back to the balcony where Brianna was disappeared. How does he end up in voodoo land then? Well, he sits on the balcony in the place that everyone told him that Brianna disappeared <sighs> from. And he winds up falling out of a willow tree <laughs> in some antebellum kind of slave era thing, I think. Because there's a group of guys sitting around a campfire, aren't there? Chanting. They all voodoo. It's voodoo, isn't it? It's voodoo. It must I be voodoo. It's, it's voodoo. Voodoo. They're appendants, they're wearing tunics, they're wearing shawls, and they're doing some weird incantation, invocation kind of thing. They say, look, they find him. They see him, you know, stood behind him. They say, look, the spirit has arrived. And they grab him. Yeah. And the leader is directing them to grab him. And uh, he escapes, though. They chase him back to the willow tree. He climbs back into the tree because he has to get back. And he gets back. He just manages he, to grab on. Then he confronts the cokehead. Who said what? You know that Brianna had disappeared from the deck chair on the balcony, on the on the rooftop balcony. But she isn't sure it was there. Yeah, she said no. She wandered off actually before she disappeared. He's like, well, thank you. Next time, could you give some accurate evidence, please? So he knows he has to find a different place where what she set off from. He confides in Dennis, Brianna's yeah, father, now, and his yeah. friend, and he and he reveals his video diary yes. as well. And he also reveals the pineal paradox. And Dennis takes it all quite well, doesn't he? Dennis, you can't go because you haven't got a pineal like me. (laughs) But he says, Dennis, you can help me. 
Because you share the same DNA as her. So you will know where she went. Classic trope. strange. Classic trope, isn't it? Strange. Because, because you're genetically related, you'll be able to think in the same way. It's just so by. weird. You know, my mother bought fluted curtains. I would never buy fluted <laughs> curtains. I would never think my mother would deign to buy fluted curtains. So but what's all that wrong. about? I was wrong, yeah. They have this idea that Brianna would leave messages. And we keep seeing all around town, we keep seeing things carved into trees. And also, and we didn't mention this at the time because it didn't seem important at the time. Also, in the the most unrealistic rock in all of New Orleans, yeah. which was the centerpiece of a party. I thought it was a tourist to. rock. The problem with it, I, I, I tried to put my finger on why I didn't believe that rock. It's the worst actor in the piece. I think it's because it's kind of varnished. So it looks like, it like a stage prop, doesn't it? But it's got a carving in it. It says always, I think, on the side of it. And yeah. so, and they know that Brianna likes sitting on this rock. They decide... That's where they're going to go back from. They're going to go, yeah. So Steve goes there with Dennis. Dennis sits in a lawn chair and watches. And Steve takes a pill and has a beer. Lands in the Civil War. In the trenches. And there's explosions going off. There's artillery landing Just everywhere. Just as he arrives. Yeah. Well, let's think arrives. about, you know, during the time of the Civil War, how much, you know, of the time in the Civil War, how much <laughs> of the time of that place would be locked in fighting just in that place where we arrived? I imagine it's like one or two weeks. Would that be right? Yeah, a tiny, tiny fraction of the Grand Civil War. You know, maybe maybe three hundred yards forward, four hundred yards backwards. You know, that's where the <laughs> trenches would be drawn. But he actually lands in the trenches. He flees the battlefield um, because obviously he's about to be blown up, and he winds up in this trench, crawling over all these corpses of all these uh, soldiers, Civil War soldiers that have been fighting. Surprise, surprise, he finds Brianna also huddled in the trench on a pile of dead bodies. Well, the past really sucks, as Steve tells us at some point in the movie. I like three times he's told us the past sucks. Which, I mean, let's face it, it's probably Fair observation, yeah. Fair, yeah. yeah. He gives Brianna the pill and explains to her what the hell is going on. You've got to get back, you've got to get back. Don't worry about me, you've got to get back. And they make it back to the rock, because the shelling stops briefly. But an armed chap accosts them, yells at them, Steve says, oh, it's okay, I'm your slave, you know, and he... He's trying to coax him forward so the arm trap stands on Steps on a shell. I think oh, it was shell, an sorry. unexploded shell that had landed earlier. They didn't have landmines those days, did they? As he's negotiating with this soldier, Brianna dematerializes and presumably yeah. winds up back His in watch is bleeping, telling him it's time to get back to the somewhat shoddy-looking rock. The soldier steps on the, the shell, it explodes, but unfortunately it's too late. Steve. Steve, don't get back. He's stuck. And as Dennis he said and earlier in the movie, he says, "You know, you might see me as James Bond, but I'm more Charlie Sheen." <laughs> did Charlie Sheen go back in time no. and fail to? Well, okay. I think he thought he did. <laughs> I mean, this whole movie is about the dangers of crack, isn't it? I mean, this is you know, this is how people on crack. This is their life, isn't it? This is what this is the movie they were living, you know. So Dennis and Brianna. Meanwhile, they see Steve's ghost sitting oh, on the rock. In and out, be the cusp of two timelines. And Dennis reaches out and he shakes, shakes Ghost Steve's hand. Oh, the end. The yeah. End. So, so the first thing is there are too many convenient coincidences. You know, every time they go into this other time zone, it's in the thick of the action. You know, they land in the trenches in the, you know in the Civil War, and when they land in deserted marches. There's a conquistador and a uh, and an alligator there, yeah. When they head back into Voodoo Land, there's somebody doing voodoo. You know, it's just it's trope after trope, isn't it? It's troubled teenager is the son of the protagonist is going to wind up being in trouble with drugs, and it's hero with cancer that's inoperable. That means also, he, can, he can sacrifice himself, but we don't mind because we know he was going to die anyway. You know, the pineal paradox is just like he has pineal. Pineal gland cancer. Pineal glands, you know, allow people to travel back in time. And guess what? Uh, it just happens to be his partner's daughter that's taken the same thing. You know, it's just, oh, gosh. It's too corny, isn't it, the coincidences? They, they just mm. don't ring true in any way whatsoever. You know, I thought, is it going to be a comedy at some point? But it takes itself quite seriously, I think. Oh, yes. I mean, SNL, you know, you can imagine this kind of thing. 
coming through on Saturday Night Live, like, you know, jumping around the room, you know, traveling through time on a twister board kind of thing. You know, you can imagine how you could get a funny sketch out of this. Oh, I want to travel back through time, but your your crotch and your arm is in the way kind of thing. You know, they've got an SNL sketch there, haven't you? I mean, it is, I mean, I thought it, this had the potential, because it is quite, you know, undeveloped as a scientific idea, you know, to go comically into the realm like Back to the Future did. But, but no, it, it seems to be taking itself quite seriously. The director, Justin Benson, he winds up later on, more recently, he's... Although this is quite recent still, wasn't it? As, as you pointed out. But in the last couple of years, he's done work on Moon Knight, the Marvel property. Ah. And I think he's done some stuff on Loki as well. But that's very recent. But Marvel is fast becoming, you know, the directorial destination for the competently average, isn't it? <laughs> How are we going to score this film then, Paul? Should we do acting? We can do acting as a safe bet. There's generally acting in most of these films. Well, I think we always include acting, don't we? The acting wasn't the worst aspect of this movie, I have to be honest. No, except for The Rock. They were all pretty good. I'm going to give it a seven and say little else about it. Anthony Mackie is a good hero, right? He's quite... Yeah, yeah. But I'll give it a seven for acting, yes. Okay, plot and dialogue. I thought it was a dialogue really that let these actors down. I mean, when we get Steve's backstory, it's really hard to be convinced, one, about his armchair physicism, and two, you know, all that stuff we had about, uh, what was it, the empty coffins. It just didn't gel, did it, the dialogue? No. It didn't really build coherently. The story doesn't work, and it's a really bad depiction of the scientific method as well. Yeah, if you're going to have excellent variables become become control variables, you've got to control them. You know, you can't have other things varying at the same time. Terrible, terrible scientific method. Sorry. Well, I mean, that. look, he only had a limited number of pills, and really, he's looking for Brianna, and so he he knows he's got to figure stuff out quickly. Fair enough. You don't need to pretend that he's an armchair scientist and knows what he's doing. Yeah. In order to get someone to just do things methodically. You know, doing things methodically doesn't require, you know, an education in science. Right. Do you know, what they needed here was some sort of exposition through ancient wisdom. They come across a book of ayahuascan wisdom in the spooky <laughs> New Orleans library. And, it, you know, some mathematics, some weird Mayan mathematics that somehow they can work out. Wow. And that tells them, you know, they, they can compute, you know, they can start drawing the lines on the floor and get to the right date or the right time kind of thing. I think it needed something like that, something more fantastical. As it is, we're left asking how he, because I mean, he's presented it, he, go, he, he does real scientific thinking here. And it's just a little bit, it's too much of a jump, isn't it, really, to, 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 to believe that he could do that. There's one clever thing, though, right? Because you know when he finds Brianna, yeah. And Brianna goes like, yeah, how did you find me kind of thing? And he says, well, we followed the messages that you left. And Brianna goes, yeah, like, what messages? She's true, right? Because presumably she's been cowering in a trench since she yeah. got stranded there. So where did those inscriptions all over town and on that rock come from? Presumably they came from Steve, who ended up stranded in that time. Oh, wow. So he, he could go around. And he knows that he needs to leave a trail for Dennis and himself in the future. In the, Why yeah, did he spell things post. wrong, though? <laughs> yeah, great question. Maybe he was doing them hurriedly. Okay, so maybe, so, maybe there's an element of cleverness there. I'll, I'll, I'll be generous and give it a six. Okay, I'm going to give it a 4.5 for plot and dialogue. It does, it does like to think of itself as Back to the Future, doesn't it? And it's not Back to the Future. No, it's not. Okay, New Orleans atmosphere, because I think we have to do that. It did play on the New Orleans atmosphere. I thought this was maybe one of the stronger points of the movie, is we did get the dark, spooky nights of New Orleans. And we got some it scary people in whiteface laughing manically too, which is a bit more hackneyed, I think. It is hackneyed. I was going to say, do we have to have voodoo every time it's in New Orleans? <laughs> maybe not. But we got a sense of that subtropical kind of, that kind of, uh, kind of, Spooky hauntiness, that that heat and fear that run at the same time. So I quite enjoyed the New Orleans feel of it all. I'm going to give it a six for that. I'll give it a five for its New Orleansiness. Okay, we have to get to the science and time travel section, Richard. Okay, fucking hell. So, I mean, it's worth no more than a three, is it? Whoa! Do you disagree? Look, I thought it was very brave to say, you know, local geographic <laughs> location would indicate how far you travel through a timeline. 
Did you like the way when he travelled back? I admired him for that. You know, when he travelled back from the balcony, he wind up in a tree because obviously it has to be off the ground. That's such a Back to the Future <laughs> moment, isn't it? You know, I, I think it's crying out to be a comedy. This movie, isn't it? It would have worked better as a comedy. Yeah. It's yeah. A, fortunately a comedy where someone's daughter gets. Uh, I'm sure the twist, SNL twist, you know. Oh, I need to get to the red, the red circle. That's going back to ancient Greece, but your crotch is in the way. I'm sure we'd get laughs if people were drunk enough in the audience for that. <laughs> well, you you can write it, Paul. I'll, uh... I'm going to write it, but yeah, and just imagine the oh shucks kind of grin, you know, if Doc if Doc came back and was suspended. You from write, the tree. you write the script. I'll punch it up for wordplay. Hey, How about National that? Lampoon, here we come. Great days of Chucky Chase, Chevy Chase are not over. Okay, so uh, for science and time travel, I'm going to go a bit higher. I'm going to go 3.5 for the bravery of just writing such a ridiculous script. Do we need to do some, um, special effects, visual no, effects? No, I don't think we do. No, they were bad anyway. They were bad. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, <laughs> overall, overall, I'm going to go first. I'm going to score it and before just don't watch this. I thought I, I was going to do a four as well. It's not terrible. It's not terrible enough even to be amusing. But it's much and... worse than the reviews it's got online from, from viewers and critics. So what the hell are you playing at, guys? Come on, you've really let the team down on this one. I think people must love Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. Is that it's, it? I don't it's know. It's just a halo factor. Well, no, just it's just not a good movie. I'm sorry. It's not worth it. Not worth your time. Hey, speaking of not worth our time, I have been advised by a good friend that we should be watching. We should be watching movies by a bloke called Neil Breen. Oh, Neil Breen! Is this the wacky stuff? It sounds pretty wacky. Yes. I always want to watch a wacky movie if, I, if I've got if I've got the energy and pace and time for it. And I do at the moment have the energy, pace, and time for it. So, so yeah. Tell me more. Which movie would that be? Well, his most recent movie, I think, is called Twisted Pair. The description Twisted on Pair. IMDb is identical twin brothers become hybrid AI entities, yet <laughs> torn in different directions to achieve justice for humanity. Oh, wow. Not wow. only... It's, it's like Street Hawk meets, meets, meets Tron or something. Not only is it directed and written by Neil Breen, he is also the star. <laughs> I think that's generally true of on all of On a budget, presumably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, I'm going to read these sensitively, with you know, with re- with reference to the resources that he has available to him. That would be nice. Any other options you're going to throw in my face, Richard? Yeah, uh, my other option is a movie I suggested last week that you rejected, or oh, did I reject that? it? Who chose last week? Uh, I'm going to suggest we don't know anyone. I'm going to suggest a superior quality of film, a Korean horror called One Cut of the Dead. Do you know, I think it's been at least 25 episodes of Drive Buying Cinema that we haven't done any career fest stuff. We haven't touched a Hallyu wave of uh, advancing career media domination. I want to go Korean, but I will put that other one in the back pocket for later reference, which is I'm going to go. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to put, I'm definitely, we, I promise we will return to that at some point, but I'm going to say one cut of the dead is our viewing choice for next week. One cut of the dead, excellent. A horror movie for this Halloween month. Is that, is that October Halloween? Yeah, it yes. is. When is it? October 30th? 31st, I'm going to say. Okay, until then, I'm going to say thanks for listening. Ciao for now. Goodbye. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.